You're listening to the RUF at UT podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. We have been looking at the book of Proverbs this semester in RUF Large Group. And we've been looking at really the subject of what wisdom is. And wisdom, we've been saying week in and week out, is skill at life in the gray areas of life. And I think you know what I mean by that. There are very clear black and white do's and don'ts that we all know. Like, for example, uh, if you want to have a private, intimate conversation with someone, you do not go to Blue Mason. Because everyone will hear your soul secrets poured out in the coffee shop. Uh, another kind of very clear black and white rule is uh, you, you know that you should go to Winter Conference this weekend, right? Okay. So, um, but outside of the black and white kind of boundaries to life, there's a whole lot of gray. Uh, should I, uh, who should I drive with to Winter Conference? Should I drive myself or go with that group of people? Um, should I go to Boxing Weekend next weekend? Um, should I take a picture of this Cafe 4 hamburger? Do people really want to know and post it? Do, I really want, do people want to know what I'm eating? Um, so there's a lot of gray area. And tonight we're going to look at the big, massive gray area of social media. What does, uh, how does wisdom from the book of Proverbs instruct us how to navigate the gray universe that is social media? So we're going to look at uh, a couple different passages. And by the way, we're going to be periscoping this just because of the nature of the um, subject matter. Uh, feel free to Snapchat story this every 10 seconds on, on the seconds or Vine it, whatever you want to do. And um, okay, we're going to jump in. Proverbs chapter 29. We're going to read one verse. I'll pray and then we'll jump into stuff. Proverbs 29.25 says this, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. This is God's word. Let me pray and then we'll jump in and talk about it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would meet with us tonight where we are. Guilty, shameful, anxious, angry, depressed, excited, bored, exhausted. Father, wherever we find ourselves, would you meet with us? Show us yourself. Reveal the beauty of who you are through your word. And give us wisdom. And we would ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm unclear if you've seen the show, The Office. But uh, if you have seen it, if you're familiar with how it goes, there's this one episode where the gang goes out for trivia night. And Ryan Howard, who's played by B.J. Novak, some of you already know where I'm going with this, uh, is, is, you know, he's at the, like, the winner's table who's supposed to win the whole trivia night. And the whole time, he's like texting on his phone. And the guy who's emceeing the trivia night kind of sees this and comes over to him and basically says this, uh, hey, can't check smartphones during trivia. It's against the rules. And Ryan goes, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm turning it off. And he kind of pretends like he's turning off, but he's just like texting underneath the table. And the guy uh, looks at him and says, um, you're not turning it off. And Ryan looks at him and says, okay, I won't look at it. And he kind of goes back and he keeps looking at it. And, the Ryan, and then the guy goes, sir. And he says, I, I can't not touch it. And the guy says, okay, well then uh, we're going to have to have 
somebody take it away. And so a bouncer like guy comes over and he puts it, the phone in his hand and walks off. And literally two seconds later, Ryan kind of gets up from the table, apologizes to the group that he's with and says, I can't not have my phone. I'm sorry. And he quits the game, walks off. And as he's walking away, looks back and says, I want to be with my phone. And so he leaves. Hold that scene in your he- uh, head. And then I want to bring you to another a scene, or actually another movie or another thing. Uh, you're familiar with the movie Her? which is an a interesting kind of thought-provoking movie about a guy that fall, basically falls in love with like the Siri voice on his phone. It's kind of interesting, odd. So you have her and you have this office scene, and both of them are interesting commentaries about how we relate to our technology now, where we're over, we over-adore our technology. We, we can't not touch it. We can't not have it on us. We, we want to be with our phone 24-7. And you've seen this, right? This is not an odd phenomenon. You've had, like sometimes you'll go through the library and there's like a group of like five people hanging out and all five people are like on their phones together. Or there's like the couple on the date and both the guy and the girl are on their phone. And it's interesting. It's just a very interesting phenomenon that we live in where both most of us, I would say, would rather relate to a screen than, re- than relate to like a real human being. That's just an interesting world that we live in now. Uh, the movie Social Network, the Justin Timberlake character said this. I thought this was pretty interesting. He said, the reality is we used to live on farms, and then we lived in cities, and now we live on the Internet. Well, think about that. We, I mean, we functionally kind of live a big chunk of our life on the Internet. And so how do we navigate that with wisdom? What do, what do we do with that? Well, um, and by the way, uh, when I use the word social media, which is I'm going to use a, a lot tonight, I'm using that as a big bucket umbrella term to, to really mean everything from like texting to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn and Venmo, which is all social now for some reason. In case you want to know what people are exchanging money-wise, you can see it. So uh, in MySpace, people are still MySpace in it. Um, so I just kind of mean big bucket you know, umbrella. So how does this book, which was written 3,000 years ago, obviously pre-Snapchat, how does this book help us and instruct us know what to do with social media? And here's how Proverbs works. Proverbs works by furnishing you with principles so that you can engage every kind of nook and cranny of life, ancient life and modern life. And by the way, Proverbs kind of reads like Solomon's Twitter feed anyway, so I think it just kind of fits in well. So the three principles that I want to look at with you tonight to help us navigate the gray zone of social media are this. If you want to do it wisely, you must, one, embrace intimacy. Number two, you must embody integrity. Number three, you must enjoy an identity. So to say it again, you must embrace intimacy, embody integrity, and enjoy an identity. By the way, I'm getting a lot of help tonight from one of my friends who's internet famous. His name is Sammy Rhodes. You probably follow him on Twitter. And um, he's got a book coming out next month. He's the RUF campus minister at South Carolina. So high five, Sammy. Thanks. Okay, number one. We must embrace intimacy. And I want to look back at that verse that I just read a second ago. Proverbs 29, 25. It says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And if you notice, this proverb is contrasting two different ways to live. One is by fear, and the other is by faith or trust. So you can live life dominated by fear, or you can live life dominated by faith. 
To live life uh, by faith or trust basically means that you give up control of your life. You relinquish control and you submit to the authority and the control of God. That's really scary for us to do, but the Bible promises, as it just says in this verse, that he will keep us safe. He will protect us. For you to give up control to him actually makes you safe. But most of us, you and I, are too afraid to go with that option. So what we do is we kind of don't give up control, and we become kind of control freaks so that we rule our life and manage our life. And as a result, we, are, we live a life that's dominated by fear and uh, that is kind of ensnared and crippled by fear. And by fear, essentially, one of the implications of what I mean by that is that we're terrified of being vulnerable with other people. We're terrified of, of intimacy. Intimacy essentially means to figuratively get undressed in front of someone. Meaning to let somebody actually see you and know like the real you. And the reason why that's so scary is because you give up control as soon as you are vulnerable with someone, as soon as you're intimate with someone. Because if somebody, if you're kind of proverbially naked in front of somebody and they see you for who you really are, you can no longer manage their perceptions of you. You can no longer manage how they're going to react to you. Uh, and the thing that we're so afraid of is this. If somebody sees the real me for who I really am, I'm so terrified that I'll be hurt and rejected. So we're afraid. We're afraid of intimacy. And here's, uh, you know, this is, you know, this is why, by the way, RUF large group, uh, there's a lot more people that come to this than they come to community groups. Because with a, with a group like this, it's, it feels safer. You can kind of come in the back uh, halfway through. You can kind of sit in the back and then leave before you have to really talk to anybody. And by the way, if that's your MO, that's totally cool. That's like why we design RUF. It's a safe place for you to come and like interact with it however you want to. But to come to a community group and there's 10 people like in a living room, like it just got real. It just got potentially awkward. People can see you can't hide. People can, uh, you know, you have to like kind of interact and people have to like view you and assess you. And it's so much scarier. And so we would just much rather kind of do like big crowd, awesome kind of big worship stuff rather than let's actually kind of be vulnerable and intimate with each other. And here's how... This relates to social media. Social media has provided a way for us to experience the connectivity of people without experiencing any of the fears associated with real intimacy. I'll say it again. Social social media basically affords us the opportunity to connect with other people without all of the fears that are associated with real intimacy. In other words, we can connect with other people, but we do it in a way where we have all the control still. We manage other people's perceptions kind of through this distance that gets created through this screen. So think of it, I mean, tons of examples of this, but think about this. Uh, When you're doing a status update or rocking the tweet, you can can, uh, perfectly craft the wording that you want to throw up there. You can take as long as you want. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I don't know, however long it takes for you to like perfectly word this thing. You have that luxury on your side, but when someone asks you a question in real life, you don't have that luxury. You just have to answer. And how you answer it gets immediately evaluated and assessed. And that's scary because you can't control people's perceptions anymore. But you can when you take your time and like post stuff. Or, for example, uh, you can pick the perfect Insta 
with the exact angle that you want of yourself, with the exact filter, you can use the app to kind of you know, brush out all the blemishes, and you kind of can perfectly control and manage what you're going to present to the world. But in real life, you don't have that luxury. You're just sort of there. And you may not know if you have food in your teeth, or a boogie in your nose, or if your uh, fly is unzipped. <laughs> you're just there. This is also, I don't know, I mean, maybe that's happened to you, I don't know. Um, this is also why I think people prefer to text than to talk. Like, to, to text somebody means that you have all the control on what you're going to say. You control the response time. Uh, you have a lot more control when you're texting. When you're talking to somebody, it's just a whole lot more scared. It's a whole lot more vulnerable, a whole lot more intimate. And so we just say, oh, let's choose the safer option of texting. Also, by the way, this is why some of you find it easier to share your deepest thoughts on your blog rather than with somebody in real life. Because when you share your deepest thoughts with somebody in real life, like, you have to see their face. You have to look into their eyes and see how they respond to that. And that's just so intense and scary. And so it's just so much easier to share our deepest thoughts and heart uh, on a screen and then click a button and we don't have to really interact with how that affects people. This is also, by the way, why YouTube comments are like the most horrific thing ever. Because there's a distance that gets created behind the screen where people feel safe to type horrible uh, toxic stuff that they would never, most likely, never say to another human's face. I don't know if you've seen the uh, Louis C.K. interview that he did with Conan. I don't know when it is, a couple years ago. Uh, but he kind of get into this idea where he was explaining why he doesn't let his 12-year-old daughters have cell phones. And he, he explains, here's why. He says, when you're on a playground, when you're a kid, and you call another kid fat... You see what that does to them when you, when, when you say it face-to-face. Like you see the pain that you inflict on another human being. But if you call someone fat uh, like through a screen, you get all the good parts of feeling, all the good parts of feeling uh, like you've said it, but none of the bad parts of seeing how that hurts somebody. In other words, he's saying you, you, you don't learn how to develop empathy, which is a crucial element for relationships. Uh, there's this great article in the New York Times by Jonathan Franzen. I've actually sent this to some of y'all. Some of y'all have read this with me before. It's called Liking is for Cowards. Go for what hurts. Great article I've recommended to you. But here's a lot. I want to read you a little excerpt. He says this. Our technology has become extremely adept at creating products. Talking like our phones, our tablets or whatevers. Our technology has become extremely adept at creating products in which the beloved object asks for nothing and gives everything instantly and makes us feel all-powerful. To speak more generally, the ultimate goal of technology is to replace a natural world that's indifferent to our wishes, a world of hurricanes and hardships and breakable hearts, a world of resistance, to replace that world with a world so responsive to our wishes as to be effectively a mere extension of ourselves. And here's what he's basically saying. The real world is scary and unpredictable. There's hurricanes, there's heartbreaks, there's, like, you can't control it, it's untamable, you can't control what people think of you. So, our technology has given us an insane amount of seemingly control so we don't have to interact with this world anymore. We can interact with a world that we can control and instantly manipulate it to have it do really whatever we want. I mean, it's crazy. 
Uh, you can get almost any answer to any question your brain thinks of in, in like three seconds. Where and when was Lady Gaga born? Three seconds, you got it. You can control that world. You can manipulate it. You can get it to whatever... You can get whatever you want out of it. You can manage people's perceptions out of it. It's safer. It's more controllable. And so we don't want to live by faith. We would rather live by fear and regain this control. In other words, of saying this. Uh, we want to connect to people through our devices, even though what we're getting when we connect with them is false intimacy. It's not real intimacy, but it feels like it. We can connect with them. We can even share deep things with them. But because we're still hanging on to control, we're still managing our perceptions of how people see us. It's a form of false intimacy. So you have to ask yourself this question. If, if you are going to be wise as you relate to social media, I think that means that you have to embrace intimacy, to give up control. And so you have to ask yourself maybe some hard questions. One, um, is social media hindering or helping your real relationships with like real humans? Is it hindering that or is it helping that? I don't know. That's for you to work out. Um, are you uh, ever vulnerable and intimate with your friends or do you only just like ever like share funny vines with them and share YouTube clips with them? Like, do you ever stop and like talk about your actual lives? Question for you to think about. Uh, are you more vulnerable online or more vulnerable with like people in front of you? And I think here's a question we all have to uh, answer. Are you addicted to your phone? Where like the moment you're bored, the moment you feel insecure, you grab it. If we're going to be wise in this arena, I think the first thing that we have to do is we have to embrace intimacy. But that's not it. The second thing that we have to do, second principle I want to look at with you, is that we have to embody integrity. And I want to kind of set it up like this. There's this great, um, you know, they do these TED Talks, and TED Talks has, has a podcast. And one of the podcasts that they did recently uh, was called Screen Time. And there's all these different people that are kind of featured on it. But there was this one woman that was featured on it. She was an anthropologist. Her name was Amber Case. And she's studying how technology is affecting humanity. She makes this really interesting point. She says, any tool that a human's ever invented uh, the reason they've invented that tool is to operate as extensions of ourselves. And so she gives this example of a hammer is, is really just an extension of your fist so that it can do something that your fist really can't. Uh, a knife is just an extension of your tooth. And she says our phones, interestingly enough, are extensions of our minds. She refers to them as like mental exoskeletons because you can, you can store information in it outside of yourself. And she says what basically happens is, is because these are extensions of our minds, functionally speaking, we ha we've started to create two different selves. We have a digital internet version of ourself that we have to like maintain and update and like communicate with other people like in this thing called the internet. And then we have our like real flesh and blood self. And the question becomes, okay, now all of us, because we're we all live in 2016, have these two different versions of ourselves, our internet self and then our real self. What do we do with that? Well, I want, I want you to look at a couple Proverbs in terms of what do we do with that. Look at uh, Proverbs 28.6. It's in your handout. 
It says, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. And then look at Proverbs 10, 9, just up a little bit. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. One more, Proverbs 11.3, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. See, in all three of those Proverbs that I just met, any, that I just mentioned, anytime it talks about somebody who has integrity, it contrasts that with someone who's crooked. And the Hebrew word for crooked means twisted, distorted. It's this idea that there's deception involved. This is why I also included just one more proverb uh, at this point. Proverbs 11.1 says this. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And what's going on there, that in the, in the culture that Proverbs was written, if you, wanted to have, if you wanted to buy some grain or something, you'd go to the market, and you'd go to a vendor, and they'd put the grain on a balance, on a scale, and whatever it weighed is what you paid. But if you were a crooked business owner, you could manipulate and engineer the scale in such a way so that it looked like you were getting more grain than you really were, which means that the, the crooked vendor was just getting more money out of you. And the reason why that's crooked, the reason why that's deceptive is because there's a distinction in what is actually happening versus what is being presented, so you could say crookedness is uh, that there's a distinction between what is real and what is being presented. Integrity is when what is real and what is presented are the same. I mean, the word integrity really it means whole, undivided. If you want to be a person of integrity, that means that you live a life that you're, where you're consistent. You're the same person in every circumstance you're put in, regardless of what's going on in the circumstances and regardless of who is involved in those circumstances. So, to live with wisdom in social media with our digital selves and our real selves is to embody integrity. Which means that we are the same person online or as we text as we are in real life. Example of this is about four or five years ago I met a student at the other university that I did RUF prior to coming here. And when I first met this guy... He was so fun and personable. It was like the life of the party and like just like lit up the room. And so we became Facebook friends. And so I just went to his profile just to like stalk him. And um, when I saw what he was writing on Facebook, it was like jarring because he was writing the most like toxic, horrible like updates ever. It's like political in nature because it was kind of during election season. But it was just like he, he was a, a totally different person online than he was in real life. Like I don't think he would ever say that kind of stuff in real life. And I saw this distinction that social media had provided this outlet for him to kind of live a double life. One way over here, one way in your like flesh and blood. And so here's the question for you. Like what about you? Like, how does that play out for you? Like, do you have kind of like an online persona that's different than the real you? Are you presenting yourself to the world in one way that's not the way that you really are? And if so, what's driving that? Why do we do that? 
I think for a lot of us, the reason why we do it is we just, we're trying to manage our image so that people like us. And we can do it in lots of different ways. We can manage our image around like our cool party friends and like taking selfies with like the PBR at Hannah's or whatever. Uh, or we can, we can do it like to uh, get the approval of our like Christian friends. This is, you know, the Bible open latte over there and like hashtag blessed, right? <laughs> like, but this is why we do this. And so here's the question. Uh, if we're going to be wise, we must embody integrity. And so here are the hard questions here we have to, you have to answer for yourself here. Um, is social media hindering or enhancing your ability to be a whole person? Is your use of social media, is it helping you or hurting you become a whole person? Uh, are you managing how other people perceive you so much so that you're actually being dishonest? If we're going to be wise, we've got to embrace some intimacy. We've got to embody some integrity. Here's the last thing. We have to enjoy an identity. Look at Proverbs 27.7. This is, I think, my favorite proverb in the whole book. It says, He who is full loathes honey, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. Now, I think this is a pretty straightforward proverb when you think about it. Like, if you just rocked a buffet at Stefano's, or, like, you're, it's post-Thanksgiving meal, and you're just, like, button, whatever, uh, you're just sick to your stomach, and you're laying on the couch, and your mom brings over a bowl of, like, bluebell ice cream, uh, you'll be like, ugh, I'm going to throw up, I can't look at it. Like, you're so, so full, even ice cream is, like, can't handle it. Uh, but if you're starving... If you're, like, hangry, then um, uh, even, even nasty food, like vegetables, tastes amazing to you, right? If you're starving, nasty food tastes amazing. And the distinction is, is you, you, you can go into life with an inner fullness or an inner emptiness, and if you, move into a, if you move into life with an inner fullness, that means that you can say no to things that previously you would have craved, previously been uh, salivating over. You can say no to because you're full. But if you move into life with an inner emptiness and you're so desperate for something just to fill you, you will fill yourself with nasty, bitter stuff thinking that it tastes great because you're so desperate for it. I think it's an interesting image, and um, there was this recent uh, This American Life podcast that I listened to called Status Update. It's fascinating. Ira Glass, the host, interviews these three teenage girls, talk about how they do Instagram. It was so shockingly eye-opening and interesting to hear them talk about all the little implicit rules of when a girl posts a picture, all the other girls know kind of code language of what you need to say and how you need to like it and all that kind of stuff. But there was one girl on there that said something that really stood out to me, and so I wrote it down, and here's what she said. She says this, talking about how I've got to post, it's got to be all the right way. She says, it's like I'm a brand. It's like I'm a brand, and I'm trying to promote myself. I'm the director and the product. To stay relevant, you have to work hard. And Ira Glass asks her, what do you mean by relevant? And she goes, relevant means that people care about what you're posting on Instagram, that people want to know what you're doing, that people will open your Snapchat stories. And so do you hear, here's what she's saying. 
The way that I relate to Instagram, the way that I relate to social media is like this. I'm a brand looking for relevance. I'm looking for social media to tell me that I matter. That I, every day I'm auditioning online, looking for a certain amount of retweets or a certain amount of comments or a certain amount of likes to then define me as someone that matters, as someone who's relevant. There are two different ways to kind of move into life. You can move into life looking for an identity, or you can move into life from an identity. And she's, ex- she's explaining and exhibiting an example of someone who's moving into life looking for an identity, moving into life with an inner emptiness, looking for something from the outside to fill her, to affirm her, to validate her. And if you think about it for yourself, this is an endless feedback loop. Because you're empty and you're insecure, you move into social media world, and you post stuff, and you audition in order to get the likes and the retweets and the whatever to make you matter. But that alone can never convince you that you actually matter, which only makes you feel more insecure and more empty. So you're over here. And so then you move into the social media world to kind of post something to have the world affirm you and validate you, which only makes you feel more insecure. And you're just some of us, I think, are stuck in this constant cycle of insecurity, looking for validation and affirmation. What do we do? Uh, you know that song? Of course you know that song. Watch me whip. <laughs> and watch me nay-nay. Um, you know that voice that's in the background? Watch me, watch me. That is the unwritten anthem of social media. Watch me. Watch me, it's like my children, it's like my five-year-old. Please watch me, watch me, give me validation, give me affirmation. This is why we have a new word in our English language, selfie. Please look at me, please affirm me, please let me know that I matter, that I'm relevant. You know that same New York Times article that I mentioned earlier? Um, uh, Here's what he says. He, He goes on and he says this. Consumer technology products, talking about our phones, our whatevers, These products are great allies and enablers of narcissism. Our lives look a lot more interesting when they're filtered through the sexy Facebook interface. We star in our own movies. We photograph ourselves incessantly. We click the mouse and a machine confirms our sense of mastery. This is an amazing line. To friend a person is merely to include the person in our private hall of flattering mirrors. Isn't that interesting? When you think about how you relate to social media, and you do this and I do this, isn't that exhausting? Doesn't it just feel empty to constantly be looking at your phone, constantly clicking the app to see that little orange thing light up in the corner? Like, isn't it exhausting to always be looking for that kind of level of affirmation? What's the number? What's the number? What's happening? What are people doing? You just keep auditioning and keep performing and it just feels so stupid and so vain and so empty and you're just gorging on yourself which is just so empty. Doesn't it leave you weary like it leaves me weary? What do we do? Because we're all addicted and that's where we live. What do we do for people like you and me who are just weary? <laughs> One last proverb for you. Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-five: Like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. We need to hear good news. News that is so good that it'll actually fill up this emptiness inside of us 
and give us the freedom from having to kind of stop the auditioning. The freedom to get off the hamster wheel and to like relate to social media radically differently. Uh, do you know who had that kind of inner fullness? Uh, Paul did. Paul did. I want to read you one little, one little excerpt. I know, I've read, read, I know I've read a lot to you tonight. I've been patient. I want to read one more little excerpt from what Paul, New Testament author, wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. He says this, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Do you hear what he just said? He just said this. There's something inside of me that is so full that it's gotten me to a point where I don't care what you think about me. I don't even care what I think about me. That's crazy. He says this, the only person that matters is what God thinks about me and God's already judged me. In other words, what he's really saying is this, in Christ, I've already been judged. Christ came and he took everything that's ugly about me, everything I hate about myself, and he died with it on the cross. And then he was raised from the dead, which means now I live under the perpetual smile and adoration of God. Which what that means practically for Paul is this. When I move through life, I have an identity that I know that I am the beloved child of God, and he's the only person that really matters. Jesus, who was whole, became broken on the cross so that me, I, who am broken, can become whole. Jesus lived a full life, and yet he was emptied on the cross so that you and I, who are empty, could become full. The way that Paul got that is the same way that you can get that, which is to go back to the beginning. By faith, by giving up our control, by giving up the reins of our life and throwing yourself at the mercy of Jesus, where you will find grace upon grace, where he will fill you. That is the good news. That is what will fill you, that you can live your life underneath the gaze of of the affirmation of the only person in the universe that actually really matters. So here's the thing. As you relate to social media, in Christ you can do so by enjoying your identity as a beloved child of God. That you actually know who you are. I'm a child of the King. I am His beloved and He is mine. He is my rock He is my fortress. He is my refuge. He's the only one that really matters. He's all that I need. And when you move into life with that as kind of the core of who you are, that does change the way that you relate to social media. You no longer look to it to provide you an identity. You you move into it from your identity of someone that's in Christ. And what that means is now you can actually risk and take, uh, uh, take risks with your friends in real life and cultivate intimacy. Uh, you, you don't have to have a thousand followers on Instagram. You don't have to have a hundred thousand followers on Twitter. Like you can relate to all this stuff, but it doesn't really matter to you as much anymore. It doesn't really matter how many likes, comments, retweets, or whatever. It doesn't define you. That doesn't make you relevant. That doesn't define whether or not you matter. 
the way that you matter, you know who you are in Christ. You can relate to social media from a radically different vantage point. If your soul is um, weary, if you're moving into the world looking for an identity, not from an identity, if your soul feels parched and empty, the good news that you need is available for you tonight. There is cold water for your soul available in Jesus if you will turn to him. In light of all of your junk and all the ways that you fail, all the ways that you betray him, turn to him and have him take your sin and crush it on the cross and then bestow you with his ultimate validation, his approval, his affirmation. That's available to everyone in this room. That is good news. The good news that your weary soul and my weary soul needs. Will you turn? That's the question. And that's the invitation. Let me pray. Father, I do pray that you would um, expose our hearts for how narcissistic and empty and distracted and just erratic and frenzied they are. Would you show us that we really deep down are restless because uh, we've chosen to live a life dominated by fear and to regain control. But I pray, Father, that you would enable us grace to let go of control, to relinquish the rights to our life, to say, not my will be done, but your will be done, and to turn and find something safe and good and rich and filling and satisfying so that it would really transform the way that we relate to our phones, relate to other people, relate to the Internet. Would you make us into a different type of people that can relate to this stuff um, as if we don't need it. It's fun. It's great to connect with people. It can be really great. But help us to not use it for something it can never provide for us, which is an identity. Would you help us, Father? We all really need a lot of help and wisdom and grace in this area. We need your help. Please provide it in Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.